to Galatians. Did I miss any visitors? Stan, you don't count. <laughs> but stand together um, and go to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. And we'll start our reading at verse 8. And we'll end our reading at verse 20. Now then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You've not injured me at all. You know that because of the physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessedness you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it's a good thing to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Father, this is the heart of a pastor. This is the heart of a shepherd. This should be the heart of every Christian that longs for the best in people's spiritual lives and who's willing to go to bat for them, willing to stand up for them, and willing to speak truth to them, even though he knows it's going to cost him. Father, I pray today that we would understand Paul's heart. And Father God, if any of us have turned to something that's weak, and beggarly, if we've turned to anything that is enslaving us, oh God, I pray today that we would run to the arms of Christ to be known by God and to know God. May we not let anything rob us from that joy, from that grace, from that depth, from that peace. God, that's what you want from us today to take away from this passage. 
And so God, help us to do that. Holy Spirit, right now, come and guide us and give us an enlightenment so that we can live by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Um, I want to just kind of work through this text, make some observations, and try to get into the heart, try to get into the mind of the Apostle Paul and the Galatians, what was happening in this church that was so heavy on Paul's heart that he felt like he was in birth pains, going through labor to produce this spiritual child all over again because he'd been there probably five to six years earlier on his first missionary journey, had passed through there on his second missionary journey after the Jerusalem Council and has this broken heart for them. What is leading to this? And it's, it's the gospel that's been changed. It's the gospel that's been, been polluted And Paul, first chapter, he tells them that that this gospel came straight from direct revelation from Jesus. I didn't get it from anybody. I didn't go up to Jerusalem. I didn't talk to any of the other apostles. We're all on the same page, chapter 2. Even after 14 years, when I went up to Jerusalem, they saw the gospel that had been committed to my trust. They saw the effectual power in my ministry. They embraced me. The other apostles gave me the right hand of fellowship. And then Paul goes into this this wonderful dissertation on on how the law can do nothing but condemn. As many as of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue and abide in all things written of the law to do them. But no one is justified before God. It's evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by those works. And Christ has redeemed us from the works of the law by being a curse for us, in order that we might receive the blessings of Abraham through Christ Jesus, that we might receive the Spirit through faith. And then he anticipates the Galatians' questions. Well, what good is the law then? And Paul says the law was good because it made transgressions just so evident. Couldn't we contain them? You are put under bondage, under sin, like a prison house. It had become your tutor. The law was good because it it brought you unto Christ, but it was temporary. It was like a guardian. It was like a steward. It was like a slave that was watching over you because you were immature and you needed someone telling you, don't do this, do this. And now that you're mature, you are a full-fledged son and now you are an heir of God. And all of God's promises you have received and you are fully able to live out the law because now the law is living in your heart. And now Paul goes into another argument and he says, but I want you to know, but when you did not even know God, he's saying, before I even came to the area of Galatia, before I came to Lystra, Derby." Iconium and Antioch, these people were entrenched in paganism. When Paul was at Lystra and he heals the crippled man, 
They call one of the apostles Zeus and they call the other one Hermes. And they go and they get garlands and they get oxen and they're ready to do sacrifice to Paul. That's the kind of slavery, that's the kind of spiritual bondage the Galatian people were under. And Paul says, you didn't even know God. I want us to think today, before we knew God, what life was like. And Paul tells us what it was like for the, for, for the Galatian believe, uh, uh, unbelievers when they didn't know God. When you did not even know God, and here's our main clause, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. Without Christ, you and I are enslaved. Now, we don't think of ourselves as being slaves, do we? We think of ourselves as being free. In fact, that's exactly what the Pharisees thought. They thought they were free, and Jesus told them this in John chapter 8. He says, if you continue in my word, John 8, 32, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They said, we've never been in bondage. Here's Jesus' answer. He says, those who commit sin are the slaves of sin. And every one of us can say amen to that because we know what it was like in the past. When we practiced something, it became our master. In Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, whatever we yield ourselves to, to be that servant's, to that then becomes our master. And it may be a good thing. It may be something positive. But it's taking you away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. You've turned again and you've lost the relationship with Jesus. And Peter writes the same thing in 2 Peter. He says, the lies of this world promises you freedom just do whatever you want live however you will that's the world's message those things are not gods and they bring you under bondage paul or peter says he says they promise you freedom but you end up becoming the slave of corruption and so paul here in this letter is saying oh the dire danger of replacing form for substance. Going through motions without the emotion. Filling your head and not filling your heart. This is where we used to be. And as a church, North Valley Bible Church, we want to be people that just don't go through rote memory. We don't want to just go through rituals. We don't want to just come in here on a Sunday morning and sit on a chair and sing four songs and take up an offering and then go home. We want to experience God in this place. Because Christ is here. He has promised that. The book of Ephesians tells us that we are the temple of the living God. And the Spirit now dwells among us. And this is what God desires for us. Paul had a deep concern for their souls of his converts, the peril of losing it all. If they seek justification through anything other than Jesus, if they seek spiritual maturity through anything other than Christ, if they seek perfection 
and answers to prayer through anything but faith alone. You've missed it all, Paul says. And he says, I don't want to labor in vain. Let's go to verse 9. He says, but now, this is where you at are at now, you Galatians. Before I came to you, you were under bondage, you were enslaved to things that aren't even God's. In fact, they're demonic. Any other religion other than Jesus Christ is a demonic religion. That sounds awful harsh, doesn't it? But Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, he says what the Gentiles serve, they actually are serving demonic entities. And you think about it. What does Satan want to deceive the church with? What does Satan want to get us involved in? He wants us to get involved in religion. Satan does that. He masks the truth with religion. He takes a lot of Bible, and then he'll mix in a little bit of leaven and turn it into poison. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's him alone. It's faith alone. It's grace alone. And we add anything to that, it's poisoned it. By turning away from an intimate relationship, it's all in vain. In essence, we are returning to bondage. Life before God is what we turn to when we turn to religion or turn to anything else. Rituals and rote routines have no power to deliver. Without Christ, it's a demonic counterfeit. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But now life, since we know God, knowing God is possible through the gospel. Paul brought the gospel. He says, now you are knowing God. And then he says, the, 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 the Greek, I'll just give it to you, it's, it's malode. It's a strong, strong contrast. He says, yes, you know God. But he says, that's not the important thing. The important thing is rather that you are known by God. It's a passive. The idea is that God took the initiative to step into your life. God sent His Son. God sent the Holy Spirit to bring you under conviction. Now you are known by God. You have a relationship with Him. How is it? He can't fathom this. How is it that you now turn to weak and beggarly stoichia elements religious things how can you turn from religious things from a relationship now that you know god and that god made the initiative to know you how can you turn back how can you turn back to weak and beggarly elements to wish you want to be in bondage again so it's, it's all about slavery here the preposterous idea to Paul, it was unimaginable. Going from paganism to knowing Christ and now going to Jewish rituals, he said, in essence, you are doing the exact same thing. What were the Jews? The Jews were under the elements, the stoichia of what? The stoichia of the world. That's where the Jews were. And now the fullness of time has come and God sent forth his own son born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem us under those who are under the law. And now he's saying the same thing about the Galatian church because they've left paganism, they came to know Jesus, and now they've gone to Jewish ritualism. And those things all look good. They all look attractive. In fact, they all look biblical. They were observing days, Sabbath days. 
They were observing months, the new moons. They were observing seasons, all the festivals that the Jews watched over. They were observing years. There were three annual feasts that the Jews went to every year, and it looked so good, and yet it was so deceiving. And that's the danger of just walking through things without a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Colossians were doing the same thing, only it was under the influence of Gnosticism rather than Judaism. And Paul wrote this to the Colossians. Therefore, if you are dead with Christ, and the old King James says, dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. It's the exact same Greek word, stoichia. You could say the religious elements. Therefore, since you are dead with Christ, You are set free from all these religious elements. Why, as though living in the world, you subject yourself to dogmas, ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all things perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. This is what Paul says about these things, these stoichia. These things have indeed an appearance of wisdom. If I will just live by this rigid life, If I will live by all these rules, boy, I'm surely going to be a better Christian one day. It has the appearance of wisdom. It looks like wisdom. In self-imposed religion, man-made commandments, a false sense of humility, a severe neglect of the body. But look what he says about these things, these stoichias. They have no value against the indulgences of the flesh. They have no power to transform you. That's what Christ does. And Paul says, how is it when you guys didn't even know God, you were enslaved to all these things that are not even God's, and now that you know God, you have a relationship with Him, God now knows you, how is it that you can turn back? And then Paul, in his frustration says, all these rituals that are compulsory, faith is now eliminated. So when he says in verse 11, I fear for you lest somehow I have labored for you in vain, the word labor is in the perfect tense. He says, I came and I laid the foundation, I gave you the gospel, and I wanted the results to continue on in the rest of your life. But if we don't continue to walk the same way that we, re- that we receive Christ Jesus, it's all in vain. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him, grounded and built up and abounding in Him. For in Christ all the treasures of wisdom are found. It's in Christ. So Paul here says, you're in theological air. And to be in theological air means it's all in vain for Paul. And it also it has the idea that it is stemming from impure motives. It, pro, it, 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 it provides a false sense of spirituality. And here's what legalism, this is what tradition is. This is just going through rote ritual. This is what it does. It impedes real faith. It impedes a hunger and a thirst for a relationship with Jesus. And it excludes the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And it excludes the directing agent of the Spirit. 
If we live in the Spirit, Paul says and later in this book, he says, let us keep in walk. It's a different word for walking, parapeteo. It's not that word. It's the idea of a military man who's walking in regiment in line. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in line with the Spirit. And so by living under legalism, we lose all those things. Paul's next argument is about the essence of genuine Christianity. And he uses his relationship with the Galatians to show us today what genuine Christianity looks like. So in verse 12, we've got a shift here. So follow along with me in verse 12. Verse 12 says, brethren, I urge you. It's the same Greek word for prayer. I am pleading with you. It could be translated. Deomai. It means to plead. It means to pray. It means to be urgent about something. And Paul says, brothers. He starts it out with Adelphoi. Brothers, I need to get your attention. I am urging you, become like me because I became like you. Total transparency. What does Paul mean? The context has to tell us what this means, doesn't it? He's saying that you've gone into Jewish rituals. You're observing all these things, days, months, seasons, years. Paul says, I became like you. I got rid of all of it, Paul said. I left it. I walked away from being a Pharisee. I walked away from self-righteousness. I walked away from my pride. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. I did it all. I wouldn't even eat with you Gentiles. And I became like you. I sat in your homes. I ate your food. We prayed when we felt like it. We didn't observe special holidays. We didn't observe special days. We observed Jesus. And we thanked Jesus for his grace and for his salvation. I became like you. And now you guys are becoming like me? Don't do that. Become like I am. So Paul here, he says, this is the essence of true Christianity. It's transparency. Paul always desired an open relationship with the people that he ministered to. To the Corinthians, he says this. He says, I have opened my mouth wide to you. Now open your mouth wide to me. That's a figure of speech. It doesn't mean that I've just been blabbing a lot, like Pastor Pat. No. What it means is, I have shown you and I've been real with you, Corinthians. Now I just want you to be genuine and real with me. Now, this is beautiful. The last part of this verse, you have not injured me at all. The word injured, Paul, it's, it's, it's a compound word, but it means I haven't feel like I have been unjustly treated. You think about that. Paul spent his missionary journey there. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his effort. He sacrificed his health. He says, out of the infirmity of my flesh, I came and preached to you guys. And now you've left everything I've taught you. And yet Paul did not take a personal offense at it. We are so easily offended, aren't we? We do all this stuff for people. If they don't respond the right way, we get in a big dander, don't we? As my wife says, I won't say what she says. (laughs) 
It's a funny expression, but we can't say it in church. <laughs> it's not really bad, but it's, it's just improper. Okay, okay. So, but we do. We get frustrated, don't we? And Paul says, I don't take personal offense. Let's just be transparent, and let's be re- real with each other, and let's don't carry our feelings on our shirt sleeves. And the first thing that goes wrong we get all upset, and we're not going to talk to you anymore. Paul says, uh-uh, I, I don't take a personal offense at what's going on. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you and the gospel. So this is genuine Christianity here. And then he reminds them of how genuine they were with him. So let's look at the next verse, verse 14, 13 and 14. You know because of the physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. Now, I'm not going to clear up for you this morning. I don't have any revelation of what that physical infirmity was. In fact, I read commentator after commentator, and they had all these theories. And finally, I read one that says it's fruitless to speculate, and he's the one that's right. (laughs) Here's the important thing about verse 13. The Galatians knew. They knew what was going on with Paul. And it was serious. The word trial in my flesh is a powerful word. You guys knew what was going on with me when I preached the gospel to you at the first. The first time I came, you knew what was going on. You knew all the problems I had when I preached the gospel to you. And my trial, my testing, my temptation that was in my flesh, you guys didn't despise and you didn't spew me out is the little word, word here. It's ptuo. It kind of sounds the way it's, what it means. The Greek will do that on some of the strange words. But it means to spit out of your mouth. He says, you guys, you embraced me. And if it was possible, you would have taken your very eye. You would have sacrificed your most precious things to help me. Now, where is that blessedness that we used to enjoy where we had this genuine relationship with each other, where we could talk frank with each other, where I could tell you what you needed to hear and you didn't get offended, and you guys, I didn't take offense when you didn't listen to every single thing I said? Where is that blessedness that we used to have? Somebody came and has robbed them of that wonderful relationship, and that's what legalism does. It makes you critical, it gives you a bad spirit, it makes you judgmental, and it makes you a hypocrite because you think you're better than everybody else. And Paul says, how did you let that happen? Relationships are broken when you are easily offended and you don't want to forgive. And Paul says, now have I really become your enemy because I'm telling you what you need to hear I had some points on that, but I can't find them in my notes. (laughs) Here's what it is. Paul had a real concern for doctrine and practical truth. And here's what Paul is basically saying, and this is what we need to apply to our lives. When people have our best interests at heart, we need to take it on board. When somebody comes to you to correct you and you have this open 
and real, transparent, and genuine relationship, when someone comes out of love to correct you, you need to receive it. And secondly, if you see somebody that you really love and that you really care for, and you keep your mouth shut and you don't say anything, that's not love. It's not. So that's one, one thing. Second thing we can take from this is that we lay aside our flesh, which is easily hurt. And we take away our pride that desires to be flattered. Paul wasn't going to flatter them. He wasn't going to compliment them for what they were doing. Paul saw their deeper need. So that was point number two. Point number three is the last paragraph, starting at verse 17. Verse 17, he talks about these Judaizers, these legalists, and he uses the word zealous or jealousy. And the idea of this word means to court someone with zeal to make them your own. So in 17 through 20 is our last thought of this passage. What were the Judaizers doing? It says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. Here's their motives. And what's it going to result in? That you may be zealous for them, so that you may promote their cause, is the idea. Now, Paul says, it's always good to be zealous in a good thing, always. Like when I was with you, and, and we know the idea is like when I was with you before, because he says this phrase, not only when I am present with you. It's good to be zealous, just like you used to be. Not only, now that I've left, you need to keep up that same zeal. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you and to change my tone or my voice, for I have doubts about you. Now, now Paul knew that it would better for him to be there in person, to cover such a weighty and heavy topic. Paul says, I wish I was right there, right now. I can't. But this letter is going to have to suffice for right now. Because I have such a heaviness in my heart. I want to see Jesus Christ formed in you all over again. Look how many times he uses the word again. In verse 19. My little children from whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I'd like to be present with you now. Well, it uses it twice in the original and it's only translated once. But he uses the word again twice. He wants to be there. And what he's saying is it's, Zeal is a good thing. To be zealous about something is wonderful. Just make sure it's the right thing. Don't make it about traditions. Don't be zealous about man-made rules. Don't be zealous about just doing the right thing, but have the right motive. Secondly, trust those who have your best spiritual interests at heart. Who is it that you can trust? Who is it that's going to tell you the truth? Paul says it's good to be zealous in a good thing, not only uh, um, when I'm present with you. So he says, 
I'm the one who you can trust. I'm your spiritual father. And thirdly, the heart of true spirituality is Christ being formed in you. Verse 19, my little children. Notice the affection there. Tekna, it's a Greek word for a little child. It's not huios, which means an adult son. My little children for whom I labor in birth. To labor in birth, that's a figure of speech, right? We understand that. But it means that you need to almost go through the whole process of salvation all over again. That's the again here. He says, I was with you and you were born into the kingdom, and now do I have to go through this process all over again? Christianity is not a two-tier thing. It's not getting saved, and then I go on to do something else to get sanctification. It's to continue to walk in the same way that you believe. Oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you before your eyes Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I want to learn one thing from you, Paul says. How did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And how does the one who worked miracles among you, how does God do it? Does He do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? They understood all of that, and they knew all of that. And Paul says, that's how you came into the kingdom of heaven. That's how you and I get saved. We get saved because we believe the gospel. We trust it. We receive the Holy Spirit. We grow in the Christian walk by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I want to be there right now so that I can ensure that you are truly born again. I want to see Christ." And the Greek word is morphe. It's a passive. I want to see Christ being formed. And the word morphe in the Greek means, I want you to have all the essential attributes as a Christian, as a child of God. I want all of that formed in your life. He says, I know this is tough stuff. And I wish I was there. I wish I could tone it down a little bit. The Corinthians said this about Paul. In presence... Your speech is contemptible, and your presence is weak. But boy, your letters, they're weighty and they're heavy. And Paul knew what he had to say and why he had to say it. Satan does not care how he distracts you. He doesn't care. He'll use anything he can to detract from your relationship with Jesus. He'll use good things. He'll use religious things. He will do anything to take away from that relationship that you have with Christ. He'll take you to things that you used to do before you knew Christ. Or he'll introduce religious things to you. It doesn't matter to Satan. As long as you lose that intimacy with Jesus, the enemy wins. Religion is one of the key tactics because it looks so good. We need to trust those who have given us truth, and we need to trust what the Bible says. We need to have a desire for pure and undefiled religion. 
and it looks like Christ being formed in us. It will produce transparency in our lives. It will keep us from being easily offended. It will help us receive truth. And you will see internal things, not external things. Christ formed in you. So this morning, as I close in prayer, I just want you to search your heart for a few minutes. I just want you to ask yourself before I pray, Lord, is my relationship with you the way it was when I first met Christ at the cross? Secondly, I want you to ask yourself, Lord, what is it that's detracted me? I want you to say, Lord, I remember how blessed those times were with you. And today, I'm making a commitment, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, Lord, I want Christ to be formed in me. Lord God, it is so simple, isn't it, Lord? God, I love the way you just make it so easy and so simple, and yet, Lord God, we, we get busy doing things, even good things that we're zealous for, that those things can exclude us so that we become zealous for what we think is a good cause and we lose sight of Jesus. God, we can get caught up in just going through rote memory. It's Sunday morning. I go to church. This is the time I do my prayers. This is the time where I read my Bible. Oh God, may we never get a habit of just doing things without realizing that God you made the, this first step and now that not only do we know you but rather God you know us Father I pray today that at North Valley Bible Church there will be genuine Christianity here God that we won't play games with each other Lord God that that we would put aside all the facade and we would become like each other and each other would willing to become just like us. That we would hold everything in common with each other. Father, I pray today, God, that we won't get offended. That we won't have our feelings hurt. God, I thank you that you put people in my life who speak the truth. They are not my enemy. They are my true and best of friends. And God, I pray that we will have a heart today that receives correction, that appreciates instruction. God, I pray today that our pride would be set aside that wants to be pampered and wants to be flattered. Father, it's a good thing to be zealous for the right things. 
And so, God, I pray today at North Valley Bible Church that we will be zealous for Jesus Christ being formed in our life so that when people see us, they see Jesus. What a testimony that would be. God, we thank you that you can do these things through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of prayer and by faith alone. In Jesus' name.